before considering a final moral attribute of God under the question, what do we know about the faithfulness of God from the Bible, we were in process of reviewing the basic requirements of moral action so that we can better understand what moral attributes are. We have various kinds of action which we observe going on in the world and in the universe. It is most important that we have a clear understanding of these. We all readily understand a force or a caused action in the physical world. When a certain push is exerted on an object, it moves in the direction of that force. This is the law of physical causation. Then there is the law of instinct in the animal creation. They need to do certain things to sustain life, and God has placed within them a locomotion to do what is necessary. Thus a bird picks up straws to build a nest at the right time of the year. A groundhog digs his way into the ground, and the like. There is no intelligence in these matters. There is merely an inner urge. But moral action is something entirely different. It is intelligent action as distinguished from force or instinct. The will is mysteriously free and may or may not act according to certain motives or need not act in accordance with the strongest motive. It may accelerate certain motives and give preference to them. The will acts according to intelligent comprehension of the facts involved. Thus man is entirely unique in all of earth's creation. And God is like man, since it is revealed that man was created in the image of God. But no one can act morally who does not possess the equipment for such action. Thus we have developed the revealed facts of the Bible which show that God possesses the personal characteristics of intelligence or reasoning power, of emotion, or the power of experience, and of free will, or of self-determination. The Bible reveals innumerable moral actions on the part of God. God made plans to create a profound order of beings with the certain knowledge that they would be blessed and happy if they followed His prescribed conduct, and with a desire to endow some of his creatures with the ability to respond to his nature. In accordance with these plans, God made the decision of will to go ahead with the great venture of creation. When man's wickedness became unmanageable, God made the most solemn decision to send the great flood to destroy all of mankind except Noah and his family as recorded in Genesis 6, 12 and 13. In due process of time, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, as we read in John 4, 14. These are events in time and demonstrate the free will of God in operation. God therefore possesses the true functions of personality. This essential nature of God is revealed to be a trinity of personalities called the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
each possesses independency of action, and yet are in profound unity in all their operations. But secondly, God not only possesses the personal characteristics of intellect, emotion, and free will, but is in possession of that perfect comprehension of moral truth that is a requirement for moral action. Moral action requires an understanding of what is right and proper in addition to the ability to act. The comprehension of truth or an understanding of the right is like a road map to an automobile owner. It tells him what is the right way to go to arrive at a certain destination. It furnishes information for the useful operation of his automobile. The automobile, with its ability to go places, is like our personalities and the personality of God. Thus we need both the automobile and the road map for useful travel. We have read many Bible passages that set forth the perfect moral comprehension of the members of the Godhead. In 1 John 1.5 we read that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The figures of light and darkness are used to teach us the difference between right and wrong. Light has the tendency to expose everything it shines upon, and therefore what is right and proper from all angles and considerations we call light, because no one could find any fault with such conduct. What is wrong is called darkness, because it will not stand the test of light. This principle is referred to in Ephesians 5.13, where we read, Whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Our Lord Jesus said, I am the light of the world, as in John 8.12. His understanding and his conduct gave to the world the moral light as to how our lives ought to be lived. But here we are particularly concerned with the fact that the triune personalities of the Godhead do possess a perfect understanding of what is right conduct in every situation. But the Bible also tells us that the beings of the Godhead are absolute in possession of all truth, which is the same as saying that God is light. Many times in the Old Testament we have the word truth used in addressing God as in Psalm 31, 5, O Lord God of truth. God is said to be abundance in goodness and truth in Exodus 34, 6. The truth of the Lord endureth forever, we read in Psalm 117, 2. The Lord Jesus was full of grace and truth, John wrote in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. The Lord himself declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life, as in John 14:6. The Holy Spirit is given the title, the Spirit of Truth, in John 16:13 and elsewhere. Thus, within the minds of the personalities of the Godhead, there is an absolute perfect and complete concept of what is right and proper in every situation. The Bible is declared to be the incorporation of truth. The Lord Jesus declared in his prayer 
Thy word is truth. In John 17, 17, the Apostle Paul was very anxious that all should be rightly dividing or understanding the word of truth. Thus the Bible affirms that there is an absolute standard of truth and right in the universe. Since God's understanding is beyond measure, God's comprehension of right conduct is absolutely perfect to the smallest detail. But in the third place, before we consider what the Bible reveals about the moral character of God, we need to refresh our minds upon the nature of moral action. Is moral action a miscellaneous assortment of a multitude of individual actions, or can it be simplified or grouped into various kinds of actions? Can a given action be partly right and partly wrong at the same time? Or must it be either, but not a mixture of both? The same principles apply to God as well as to ourselves. There must be a similarity since man was created in the image of God, which of course refers to a moral image. Our physical likeness was made from the dust of the earth. The following remarks sum up our thinking on the nature of moral action, a right understanding of which is of immense importance. First, a moral action is an action of will and not something static or fixed somewhere in a personal being. It is a dynamic or an active something. It is not a constitutional trait but a voluntary action of will. It is to act in accordance with moral light in the understanding or contrary to it. It cannot be something back of the will, but the will itself. Our Lord Jesus spoke of the will of my Father, which is in heaven, Matthew 7:21. If anyone was to enter heaven, it could only be by conforming to this will of God, indicating that God's essential character was a conducting himself in a certain righteous manner. But secondly, an action of will is positive and definite and cannot be partial. A moral being either decides to do a certain thing or he does not. A decision or attitude of will may be changed during succeeding moments, to be sure, but when acting in a certain direction, it is always definite. Our Lord Jesus taught this principle of undivided action in Matthew 6, verses 22 to 24. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness! No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Thus we see the clear-cut distinction that our Lord Jesus made in the nature of moral action, that it must either be one way or another. Light and darkness cannot coexist nor can two masters be equally supreme at the same time. The Apostle Paul likewise affirmed this principle in Romans 6 and verses 16 to 18. Know ye not 
that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Notice these two pathways. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. How clear does the Apostle Paul describe that salvation is a breaking away from one realm of services to enter another. It indicates no possibility of a mixed service. God is revealed as a moral being with similar decisions of will to those of our own. But in the third place, we remark that all actions of will are not of the same importance, but are related to one another and may be classified into various groups according to the direction of each choice. There are ultimate or supreme choices which determine the overall destination of life, but we must take up this point at our next meeting. Our Heavenly Father, with great thanksgiving of heart, we thank Thee for the revelation of Thy Word, and we thank Thee for its simplicity. Thank Thee that Thou hast pled with us and made it possible for us to be forgiven and reconciled to Thee. And now we pray that many may repent of all sin with all sincerity of heart and through faith in the death of the Lord Jesus for their very sins be forgiven freely by Thy grace and reconciled to Thee and may walk with Thee both now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.